there came a day when the Jews were having a feast, and Jesus went around and gathered his peeps. They went to Jerusalem, a pretty rad town, and there were sheep roaming, making a sound. Now the Jews were standing beside the pool. They thought they were really cool. This pool was called Bethesda, as many people knew, and had, had properties that could make you new. There lay the lame and blind, with nothing good in mind. Alongside them were the sick and weary, causing the mood to be very dreary. Excuse the interruption. Now here's the case. It was a very big race. All the people wanted to get first place. Why do they want to get first place, you ask? The angel gave the water a healing that would last. A dude named Tim had been ill for 38 years, and every day he leaked a few more tears. Woe is me. <laughs> he was sad, you see, sad and depressed. Because he could not get into the pool, he was in distress. When Jesus saw him lying there, Tim gave him a glare. He was thinking. It's just so unfair, you being way up there. Jesus said to him. Those were some pretty bold words for Jesus to talk. Immediately, the man, the man became well. He was in shock. He picked up his pallet, and he began to walk. The man who was healed did not know who spoke, for Jesus had slipped away through all the gathered folk. Jesus found Tim hanging out in the temple. He said to him something bold and quite simple. Everything is now swell. You have become well. So, no more sinning. I'm in the business of forgiving. Do this, stay true, and nothing worse will happen to you. Tim went on his way, happy as could be. He could walk, he could skip, he could climb every tree. He found those Jews that had questioned him, and he marched right up and said to them, Our story ends here, but we're not done. Jamie's going to teach you some words. This should be fun. We are so fortunate to have young people in our midst. They, they read the text, they studied it, they wrote the script, they practiced it, they just did a fantastic job. And uh, 
I don't want to be offensive at all to anyone in here. Um, so to those of you that are a little older, I had an experience last summer that a dear friend of mine invited me to her church here in town. And she invited me to see her grandson's baptism. And I was so excited because I had never been to this denomination service before. And you have to understand, you know, with, with what I'm going to say here, I, I love older people, okay? Like, when I was in kindergarten, my mom took me to Mrs. Hoke, my kindergarten teacher, and she said, hi, I'm, I'm Lynn Palmisano. This is my daughter, Jamie. She's a 30-year-old trapped in a 5-year-old body, <laughs> okay? So... Uh, I was on a family vacation in J January, in the middle of the trip. My brother called me Methuselah, all right? Like, Methuselah is the oldest person who's ever lived, in case you don't know that. So that's who he called me. So I identify with older better than I identify with people my own age. And I, I went to this church service here in town, and, and friends, I walked in, and the building is beautiful, just an amazing building. A and then I saw all these people, these beautiful, beautiful older people, and it broke my heart because they were so excited about my friend's grandson who lives in Denver's baptism because they have no children. Th there are no kids in their midst, and, and they don't have a next generation. And if you are in here today and you're under 18, raise your hand. If you're younger than 18. Yeah, Susan, <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> not at heart, friends. But look at, look at all these little hands we have. We are so blessed and fortunate at Summit Church. And so I just want to shout out to Anita. She's doing a fantastic job. She is, yeah, she's doing a fantastic job. And uh, if you have kids in here, if you don't have kids and you know people who have kids, this is a good, good place for them. So if you are in elementary school, you walked in today and you got a special note guide. So your note guide looks different than your mom and dad's note guide inside the bulletin. And in that note guide for you guys, there's going to be little blanks, okay? So you're going to listen really closely to me today. You're going to pay attention, and I'm going to give you the answers to fill in those blanks. And not only will I say the answers, but the answers are also going to be on the screen behind me. So when you see a word up there that's underlined and it's in big letters, you're going to find it on your note guide and you're going to fill it out. And the really exciting thing is that after church, Miss Anita and Miss Leslie are going to be down by the nursery, by the kids' table, and you are going to get a prize when you turn in your note guide. Okay, so little people, great incentive to listen. Big people, no prizes. You just get me. All right? <laughs> That's awfully nice. All right. So let's turn our Bibles to John 5. We have just seen the setting played out before our eyes. Jesus is in Jerusalem to celebrate a feast. Many people entered Jerusalem through the sheep gates, and by the sheep gates was the pool of Bethesda. There are two sides to this pool. One side is where the sheep would enter the city and be ceremonially washed before coming into the city. And then the other side is where all the people would be assembled. And around this pool, there were five porches or porticos and a multitude of people that were sick, just like we saw in the drama. 
people would gather with the hopes that today, just maybe, the waters would be stirred by the angel and one person would get healed. The um, meaning, the actual literal meaning of the word Bethesda is house of mercy. So inherent to this very place, all the people of the area knew that mercy was accessible here. And Jesus, the man of mercy, came to this place. He made a point to go there. So our text begins, if you look in your scriptures, with after these things. So this begs the question, what was before these things? Well, before these things is John 4 and the story where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman. Jesus chose to go to the pool just like he chose to go to Samaria because there was a woman at the well. Remember Pastor Michael's message on embracing the one who was different? And then after that, Jesus healed the royal official's son. Remember Pastor Aaron's message on the power of our words? And so today we find Jesus at the pool of Bethesda. You see, Jesus is after one thing, and one thing only. Jesus is after people. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. His compassion compels him. Jesus isn't after crowds. He's always after individuals. And now we find Jesus in the multitudes. And this, friends, is where we need to stop and very squarely confront culture. He is in the multitudes. And kids, for those of you, that's kind of a big word. It means many. So there's many, many people, multitudes. Jesus is in the multitudes, and all these people are grouped together according to their sickness. There were blind people, there were lame people, there were paralyzed people, and all these people were grouped together according to others that were like them. Hmm, sound familiar? People of like nature tend to hang out together. In school, kids who like video games tend to hang out with kids who like video games. People who like sports tend to hang out with people who like sports. Uh, foodies tend to hang out with foodies when you get bigger. Uh, wine connoisseurs with wine connoisseurs. Coffee lovers with coffee lovers. Those who tend to lean left uh, hang out with people who are lefties. Those who tend to hang out on, are on the right tend to hang out with righties. All these people tend to hang around with people that are like them and people that agree with them. Everyone seems to find these groups. So people with the same issues love to find each other and lie by the pool. And this creates a culture. We even saw that kind of culture. And oftentimes, the culture becomes more dangerous than the disease itself. The culture fosters the disease, and then more people jump into the culture, and more people become diseased. And that's what's happening at the pool of Bethesda. All of the people with the same issues lie there together day after day. And most of the time, people that are lying together, that are in this position, are more interested in being accepted than changed. They're more interested in being affirmed and comforted and enabled than changed. But here comes Jesus. And Jesus is in the transformation business. Jesus loves change. And what we need to make sure in the church is that we are not creating cultures of enablement, creating cultures where people just lie in bondage and stay in bondage and stay by the pool. And the really, really dangerous part about all of this is that eventually these issues become people's identities. And it can get to the point where you don't even really know someone's name, you just know their identity. 
You just know their issue because it's become their identity. The Bible is full of examples like this. So, for example, in Luke 8, there's the woman with the issue of blood. We don't know her name, but we know her issue. In John 4, there's the Samaritan woman. We don't know her name, but we know her issue. In John 8, we also find the woman caught in adultery. The man born blind in John 8, or in John 9. The demon-possessed man in Mark 5. The leper in Mark 1. The deaf and mute man in Mark 7. Notice the theme? <laughs> we don't know any of their names. We just know their issues. I could go on and on. There are people in this world, in fact, there are people in this very room, that no longer know their real identity because they're so defined by their issues. So I need a kid that'll volunteer for me who's a brave soul. Oh, Thomas, you're my man. I'm so glad it's you too because I trust you. Um, so Thomas is going to come up here and, and help me out a second. Hey, you're going to stand right here, big man. I'm so excited when I get to see this guy. When he, I come back in town, he always makes me happy. So have any of you ever been called a mean name before? Raise your hand if any of you ever have been. Thomas, we've got a lot of people in here that have been called mean names. So um, if you're a kid, especially like in school, have you ever had maybe a little trouble reading? Like maybe math is hard for you. Maybe, maybe you have glasses and, and you get fun, made fun of because you have glasses. Okay, what about, what about you sometimes raise your hand and you say an answer that's totally not right? Um, maybe some of you are really, really love school, like, like I did. <laughs> maybe you get so excited about school and you want to do so well that people make fun of you and say you're a nerd. Maybe... Maybe you don't have a mom or a dad and, and something happened and, and something went wrong and maybe you don't think you're wanted. Um, maybe other kids like bully you at school and they, they say mean things about how you look. You know, have, have any of these things ever happened? And you see what happens is that we essentially are given name tags. We're, we're given identities. We're told that this is who we are. We're given labels. But you see, there's something amazing. There's something incredible. Thomas, you are an awesome, awesome helper. You just stay right there. This book right here tells us our actual name. It tells us the truth about who we are. Every single one of these labels, according to this book, according to the God who made us, says that these are all lies. See, what God says is more important than what any other kid in school says, and even what's more important than what some adults say. Because sometimes even adults' kids will say things like this. And they'll put wrong labels on you and they'll say things that, that aren't true according to God's word. So this is the awesome thing. God's word says, you're not dumb. You are perfect just the way I made you. You're special. God's word says, you're not stupid. You're not ugly. 
You're not unwanted. You're not a failure. You're not a nerd. You're not a dork. No, God's word, the ultimate authority in life, says that you are strong, you are cherished, you are accepted, you are brave, you are wanted, (laughs) you are so important, and most of all, the very, very most important thing is that this label, the label of loved, is what God says. So, my dear friend, I need you to keep these on all service and after service so that everyone can remember what God says about them. Can you do that for me? You the man. Okay. So there aren't a lot of things in life I hate, but I hate those labels. Like, I hate labeling people with disabilities and diseases and issues. You are not your disability or your disease or your current condition. You may have weaknesses. We all have weaknesses. We all have areas where we struggle in life, but we are not defined by those things. Divorced learning disabilities, financial challenges, cancer, adultery, lust, um, alcoholism, depression, eating disorders, diseases, discrimination, racial discrimination, sexual issues, scars from the past. I don't care what it is, friends. None of those things define us. None of them define you. We walk around and we slap labels on people, essentially telling them that you have this issue, therefore you need to stay by the pool for the rest of your life. And if you don't have an issue, well, we need to find you an issue so that we can all be the same. I'm sorry, it's ridiculous. Uh, it, It is teaching us to be victims. And I need to stop here for all those younger people in the room. Victim is kind of like a big word. We don't exactly know what it means. According to the dictionary, a victim is someone who is hurt or injured by someone or something else. So if I'm a victim, it means someone or something else has done something to me. And we live in a culture that encourages people to be victims. We build monuments to issues. We fund their issues. We support their issues. People have forgotten who they are because they're so defined by their issues. We even celebrate people for their issues. We live in a world where people are truly having the life and the hope sucked out of them because they no longer know their God-given purpose. They don't know their identity. They only know their issue. And this is where we find Jesus appearing. Jesus is in the multitudes, but he finds the one. He finds the man who has been lying by the pool as long as I have been alive. He has been lying there for 38 years. Jesus finds the man, and he asks him a crazy question. It's almost rude, honestly. In verse 6, which I think is the most important scripture in this passage, Jesus says to the man, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made well? Do you, do you want to get healed? And honestly, I think a lot of people believe that Jesus is just going to lie on the mat by the pool with them for the rest of their lives, and that's salvation. In fact, let's bring more people to our place of brokenness and all just lie here talking about our sad condition and what has been done to us. But no, <laughs> not Jesus. The Jesus we're reading about says, do you want to get well? 
It kind of sounds mean. Not terribly compassionate, <laughs> not very tolerant, not sympathetic. And why does it sound mean to us? It's pretty simple. It's because it's about a choice. It's about personal responsibility. Do you want the responsibility that comes with healing? Are you willing to lose the label of a victim? Are, are you willing to give up the way of life you may have always known? Are you willing to move from a people group that you're familiar with, a culture that you know, to something that you're not? Do you want to be healed? Because with healing always comes responsibility. And I hate to say it, but it's easier to be a victim. It is. It's easier. But friends, we were not born to be victims. We were not brought into this world to be victims. Jesus asked this bold question, and of course, we think that the man is going to answer with a resounding yes. I've been in this horrible condition for 38 years. Of course, I want to be healed. He may have even reached up to Jesus, and in the words of Marty McFly from Back to the Future, said, hello, hello, McFly, anybody home? Think, McFly, think. Duh, Jesus, of course I want to be healed. But no. The sick man does not say yes. Look at what he says. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred, but while I am coming, another steps down. In other words, it's not my fault. He's saying, I am in this condition because someone hasn't or won't do something for me. He's blaming everybody else. It's excuses. He's the victim. And it's no different for us. We need to stop complaining about our situations and stop waiting for others or the government or our spouse or whatever else and take responsibility for ourselves. This may sound super harsh, but some of you have been in the church for 38 years with the same old issue. You can spend your entire life saved and lying by the pool. Some of you have lived with this issue your whole life and, and honestly you blame everybody else and everything else out there. And we just lie by the pool and, and we say it's not my fault. You don't understand. You don't know what it's like. You don't know what I've been through. Um, I was born this way. I, I never get picked. I can't catch a break. Bad things always happen to me. And honestly, it is hard not to give up. It's hard to push back those voices of defeat. It's hard to keep hoping that maybe today the waters will be stirred and it'll be your turn. And it is super hard to believe for transformation and life change when your circumstances don't change. And what's happening today is that we are almost glorifying victimhood. We are almost making idols to brokenness and telling people just accept the way things are we are not believing God for healing and deliverance and breakthrough and victory because somehow we have, we've bought into this awful lie that it's noble to be a victim. In fact, we, we teach kids it's cool to be a victim with hashtags and Facebook posts and t-shirts and bumper stickers and bracelets. And it flies in the face of what this says. In the of what this says. Romans 8.37 says, you are more than a conqueror. We are all born sinful. We're born 
broken, and that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to make us whole. Jesus came to heal us and make us well. In the words of Christine Kane, we need to stop talking about what people have done to us and start talking about what Jesus has done for us. Okay, that's tweetable. That's, that, is, that is like Facebook worthy if you're on Facebook. Give her credit. I didn't come up with it. Um, it it's amazing if we would just stop talking about what people have done to us and start talking about what he has done for us, things would change. In verse 8, Jesus said to the man, get up, pick up your pallet, your mat, and walk. Immediately, the man became well, and he picked up his pallet, and he began to walk. I thought so much about this man's answer. The man said, I have no one. I've, I've responded that way a lot to things. I have no one. And what was Jesus' answer to him? Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Jesus' solution to this man's problem was not to give him someone. That's good. That is really good. His, his solution was not, Jesus did not say, oh, let me go get you a wife. Hey, let's go get your kids. Why don't we call your dad? I am sure we could find a nonprofit organization that could help get you into the water. No, Jesus didn't say that. Those are all nice things. Those are all blessings. But friends, Jesus didn't say that. The solution was between Jesus and the man. Jesus speaks life. Get up, take your mat, and walk. And the man obeys in faith. The man moves, and immediately his life is changed. Friends, an encounter with Jesus can change your life immediately. This man was in bondage for 38 years, and immediately his life was changed. When I surrendered to the real Jesus 20 years ago, immediately my life changed. You see, I came to Jesus with a myriad of excuses. I came from a broken home. I came from a very, very different religious upbringing. I had excommunication looming over my head if I were to choose Christianity. I would lose my family, my friends, indeed the entire culture that I knew and that I grew up with. The question to me was similar to the question being asked to this sick man, and my response was also similar. I feel like Jesus was offering me wholeness in his gospel, and I spent a year and a half giving him excuses. I, I blamed others, I came up with excuses, and I said, I just need to stay by the pool. You just don't understand, Jesus. It would be so much easier if I could just stay by the pool. But just like the sick man, Jesus gave me clear instruction to move, and I did. And immediately, my life was changed. If we continue reading, we find the Jews were mad at Jesus healing on the Sabbath, big surprise. Many leaders want their followers to stay lame, sick, paralyzed, and broken. They need victims to be in power. It's very simple. The devil does not want this. The devil wants us to remain in this defeated position because then the life-changing power of the gospel is not spread. In verse 14, read with me, we see this. Afterward, Jesus found the man in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. 
Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus that made him well. We'll close with this. I love where this man is found again. (laughs) He wasn't back at the pool. He wasn't in the local tavern. And he was not holed up in his house watching television. Okay? Jesus found him in the temple. Once you are awakened to who Jesus is, the life-changing hope of the gospel goes with you. You tell people that Jesus made you well. This is what the Samaritan woman did. This is what the royal official did, and his whole family was saved. And an encounter with the, the God of the universe will leave you with truth and power and a hope that cannot be taken from you. Change inevitably happens. People are healed, they're set free, they're made whole. And quite frankly, church, if, if what we do in here doesn't change out there, and if it doesn't change us in here, this is worthless. This is pointless, and this is a waste of time. It, it is a complete waste of time. We have to see change. We have to see life transformation. Jesus didn't stop asking the man if he wanted to be made whole, and that was the only incident. The whole Bible is essentially full of this. We're still being asked this question today. Does anyone want to be made whole? There is no issue that Jesus can't heal. Relational, spiritual, sexual, emotional, physical, financial, social, with school, with your family, with your kids, inside yourself. There is no thing that Jesus can't made whole. So I'm not going to stand up here and like ask all these questions. Does anyone want to be made whole, you know? But the truth is, is we have to ask ourselves, do we want to be made whole? If there's anyone in here today that has never accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, here is your opportunity to be made whole. If there's anyone in here that has lived their whole life by the pool and and recognize and realize that, hey, I don't have to live there. I can walk in victory. Then maybe today is your day. We're going to invite the worship team up. We will have prayer partners down here. And, And honestly, guys, sometimes it's like, Really, you want me to go up front and get prayer? Right. Everyone's going to stick a label of, like, weak on me. No, that is not what prayer is. Prayer is power. And, And these are people who want to join you in prayer, in faith, believing that that you can be healed and and made whole and set free. 